Section 10 of the Convivio. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Convivio by Dante Alighieri. Translated by Philip H. Wicksteed. Section 10. Treatise 3. Chapters 6 through 9. Chapter 6. In the preceding chapter it has been shown in what way the sun circles, so that we may now proceed to explain the meaning of the division which we are considering. I say, then, that in this first division I begin to commend this lady by comparing her with other things, and I say that the sun, circling the world, sees not anything so noble as her, wherefore it follows that she, according to these words, is the most noble of all the things that the sun shines upon. And I say, in that hour, and the rest, wherefore be it known that hour is understood in two ways by the astronomers, one by making twenty-four hours of the day and night, to wit twelve of the day and twelve of the night, whether the day be long or short, and these hours are short or long, in the day or in the night, according as the day or night waxes or wanes. In these hours the church uses when she says, primes, tierce, sext, and nones, and these are called the temporal hours. The other is to make day and night twenty-four hours, of which the day one while has fifteen hours and the night nine, and another while the night sixteen and the day eight, according as day or night waxes or wanes, and these are called equal hours. And ever at the equinox these, and those which are called temporal, are one and the same thing, because the day being equal to the night, it must needs so be. Then, when I say, every supernal intellect gazes upon her, I commend her without reference to aught else, and I say that the intelligence of heaven marvel at her, and that noble folk down here below think of her, when they have most of that which is their delight. And here be it known that every supernal intellect, according as it is written in the book of causes, hath knowledge of that which is above itself, and of that which is below itself. It hath knowledge, then, of God as its cause. It hath knowledge, then, of that which is beneath it as its effect. And because God is the most universal cause of all things, by having knowledge of Him they have knowledge of all things according to the measure of intelligence. Wherefore all the intelligences have knowledge of the human form, in so far as it is regulated by intention in the divine mind. But the motor intelligences have highest knowledge of it, because they are the most especial causes of it and of every general form and they know it as perfectly as can possibly be, even as their rule and example. And if the human form itself, when copied and individuated, is not perfect, the defect is not of the example but of the material which is individual. Wherefore, when I say, every supernal intellect gazes upon her, I would say not else save that she is made as she is, even as the intentional example of the human essence, which is in the divine mind and made by that power which exists in highest degree in those angelic minds which, with the heavens, fashion these things here below. And in confirmation of this I go on and say, and such folk as are here enamoured and the rest, where you are to know that each thing most chiefly desires its own perfection, wherein its every longing is stilled, and it is for its sake that any other thing is desired. And it is this longing which always makes every delight seem defective to us, for no delight in this life is so great as to be able to take away the thirst from our soul, so that the longing spoken of shall not remain in our thought. And since this lady is in very truth that perfection, I affirm of the folk that here below receive the greatest delight, that when they are most at peace, she still abides in their thoughts. Whereby I assert that she is as perfect as the human essence can supremely be. Then, when I say, her being is to him who gives it to her so pleasing, I show that not only is this lady the most perfect in the human generation, but more than most perfect, in so far as she receives of the divine excellence beyond the due of humanity. 
whence we may reasonably believe that as every master loves his best work more than the rest, so God loves the best human person more than all the rest. And since his generosity is not confined by the necessity of any limit, his love hath not regard to the due of him who receiveth it, but surpasses it in the gift and benefaction of power and of grace. Whence I say here that God himself, who gives her being, for love of her perfection, infuses of his excellence into her beyond the limits of the due of our nature. Then, when I say, her pure soul, I prove what has been said by the testimony of sense, where you are to know that, as saith the philosopher in the second of the soul, the soul is the actualizing of the body, and if it is its actualizing, it is its cause. And, because, as is written in the book of causes already cited, every cause infuses into its effect some of the excellence which it receives from its own cause, it infuses and renders to its body something of the excellence of its cause, which is God. Wherefore, inasmuch as wondrous things are perceived in her under the bodily aspect, so as to make every one who looks on her long to behold them, it is manifest that her form, to wit her soul, which guides the body as its proper cause, miraculously receives the gracious excellence of God. And so do I prove, by this her appearance, that beyond the due of our nature, which is in her most perfect, as has been said above, this lady has been endowed and ennobled by God. And this is all the literal meaning of the first division of the second main section. Chapter 7. After commending this lady generally, with reference both to the soul and to the body, I go on to commend her specially with reference to the soul. And first I commend her according as her excellence is great in itself, then I commend her according as her excellence is great upon others and useful to the world. In this second division begins where I say, of her it may be said. I say then first, on her descendeth the divine power. Where be it known that the divine excellence descends upon all things, and otherwise they could not exist, but although this goodness springs from the most simple principle, it is diversely received, in greater or smaller measure, by the things that receive it. Wherefore, it is written in the book of causes, the primal excellence makes its excellences flow upon things with one flowing. But each thing receives of this flowing according to the fashion of its power and of its being, and of this we may have an example patent to the senses from the sun. We see the light of the sun, which is one, derived from a single source, diversely received by the several bodies. As Albertus says in the book he has made on the intellect, that certain substances, because they have a large measure of the clearness of the transparent mingled in their composition, so soon as the sun sees them become so luminous that their aspect consists in the multiplication of the light in them, and they cast a great splendor from themselves upon other substances, as are gold and certain stones. Certain there are which, because they are together diaphanous, not only receive the light, but without impeding it render it again, colored with their color, to other things. In certain there are so supreme in the purity of their transparency as to become so radiant that they vanquish the temper of the eye, and cannot be looked on without trouble of the sight, as are mirrors. Certain others are so completely without transparency that they receive but little of the light, as is earth. In like manner the excellence of God is received after one fashion by the sejunct substances, to wit the angels, which are without grossness of material, as though diaphanous, in virtue of the purity of their form, and after another fashion by the human soul, which, although on one side it is free from material, on another side is impeded, like a man who is immersed in the water all except his head, of whom it cannot be said that he is all in the water or all out of it, and after another fashion by animals whose soul is entirely embraced in material, but I speak of it in the measure to which it is ennobled, and after another fashion by the minerals, and by the earth, otherwise than by the other elements, because it is the most material, and therefore the most remote, and most out of proportion to the prime, most simple, and most noble power, which alone is intellectual, to wit God. And though here it is the general degrees that are laid down, nevertheless individual degrees may also be laid down, 
inasmuch as of human souls one receiveth otherwise than another and because in the intellectual order of the universe the ascent and descent is by almost continuous steps from the lowest form to the highest and from the highest to the lowest as we see is the case in the sensible order between the angelic nature which is an intellectual thing and the human soul there is no intermediate step but the one is as it were continuous with the other in the order of steps and between the human soul and the most perfect soul of the brute animals there is also no intermediary and we see many men so vile and of such base condition as scarce to seem other than beasts in like manner we are to lay it down and firmly to believe that there be some so noble and of so lofty condition as to be scarce other than angels otherwise the human species would not be continued in either direction which may not be such as these aristotle in the sixth of the ethics calls divine and such i assert this lady to be so that the divine virtue descends upon her after the fashion wherein it descends upon an angel then when i say and whatsoever gentle lady not believeth this i prove it by the experience which may be had of her in those doings which are proper to the rational soul wherein the divine light most freely rays that is to say in speech and in expression which we are wont to call gestures and bearing whence you are to know that man alone amongst the animals speaks and has gestures and expression which we call rational because he alone has reason in him and if any one should say in contradiction that certain birds talk as seems to be the case with some especially the magpie and the parrot and that certain beasts have expression or gestures as the ape and some others seem to have i answer that it is not true that they speak nor that they have gestures because they have no reason from which these things must needs proceed nor have they the principle of these things within them nor do they understand what it is nor do they purpose to signify anything by them but they merely reproduce what they see and hear wherefore even as the image of bodies is reproduced by certain shining things for instance a mirror and the corporeal image that the mirror displays is not real so the semblance of reason namely the expression and the speech which the brute beast reproduces or displays is not real i say that whatsoever gentle lady not believeth what i assert is to go with her and mark well her gestures i say not whatsoever man because the experience may be gained in more comely fashion by woman than by man and i tell that which will be perceived concerning her in her company by telling the effect of her speech and the effect of her bearing for her speech by its loftiness and by its sweetness begets in the mind of him who hears it a thought of love which i call a celestial spirit because its origin is from above and from above cometh her teaching as has been told already from which said thought proceeds the firm belief that she is a miraculous lady of power and her gestures by their sweetness and their harmony make love wake and come to consciousness wherever his potentiality has been sown by a sound nature which natural sowing comes about as is set forth in the following treatise and when i say of her it may be said and the rest i purpose to narrate how the excellence and power of her soul is good and profitable to others and first how it is profitable to other ladies saying gentle is that in lady which in her is found where i render a manifest example to women gazing upon which they may by following it make a gentle semblance secondly i tell how she is profitable to all folk saying that her aspect aideth our faith which is profitable more than all other things to the human race as that whereby we escape from eternal death and acquire eternal life and it helps our faith because inasmuch as the chiefest foundation of our faith is the miracles wrought by him who was crucified which same created our reason and willed that it should be inferior to his power and wrought afterwards in his name by his saints and inasmuch as many are so stubborn as to doubt of these same miracles with some certain shade of doubt who may not believe any miracle unless they have experience of the same and inasmuch as this lady is a thing visibly miraculous 
whereof the eyes of men may take daily experience, and which may assure us of the possibility of the others, it is manifest that this lady, with her wondrous aspect, aideth our faith. And therefore I finally say that, from eternity, that is to say eternally, she was ordained in the mind of God in testimony of the faith to those who live in these times. In this ends the second division of the second chief section according to its literal meaning. CHAPTER Eight. Amongst the effects of the divine wisdom, man is the most marvellous, seeing how the divine power has united three natures in one form, and how subtly his body must be harmonized for such a form, having organs for almost all its powers. Wherefore, because of the complex harmony amongst so many organs, which is required to make them perfectly answer to one another, few of all the great number of men are perfect, and if this creature be so marvellous, verily we must fear to treat of the conditions of the same, not only in words, but even in thought, according to those words of Ecclesiasticus, the wisdom of God, preceding all things, who hath searched out. And those others where it saith, Seek not out things that are too high for thee, and search not out things too hard for thee. But whatsoever things God hath commanded, think thereupon, and in his further works be not curious, that is, anxious. I, then, who in this third section purpose to speak of certain conditions of such a being, in so far as in her body, by reason of the excellence of her soul, sensible beauty appeareth, timorously, and with no hardihood, purpose to begin to untie so great a knot, if not entirely yet, at least in some measure. I say, then, that after revealing the meaning of this section, wherein this lady is commended under the aspect of her soul, we are to proceed and are to consider how I commend her under the aspect of the body, when I say, things are revealed in her aspect. And I say that in her aspect things appear which reveal of the pleasures, amongst the rest, of paradise. The most noble thing, and that which is written down as the goal of all others, is to be satisfied. And this is being blessed. And this pleasure is verily, although in another way, in her aspect, for by gazing upon her folk are satisfied, so sweetly doth her beauty feed the eyes of those who look upon her, but in another fashion than by the satisfaction of paradise, which is unbroken, for this may not come to any. And since some might ask where this wondrous pleasure appears in her, I distinguish in her person two parts wherein human pleasure and displeasure are most apparent. Wherefore you are to know that in whatsoever part the soul doth most of her office, this she most fixedly purposes to adorn, and worketh most subtly upon it. Whence we see that in the face of man, wherein she doth more of her office than in any other external part, she designeth so subtly that, by reason of her refining there to the utmost capacity of her material, no one face is like to any other. Because the distinguishing potentiality of the matter, which is, in a way, unlike in every individual, is here reduced to actuality. And inasmuch as the soul operates in the face chiefly in two places, because in these two places the three natures of the soul have some kind of jurisdiction, to wit, in the eyes and in the mouth, it chiefly adorns these, and there sets its whole purpose of beautifying, if it may. And in these two places I say that these pleasures appear, saying, in her eyes and in her sweet smile which two places by a beautiful simile may be called the balconies of the lady who dwelleth in the edifice of the body to wit the soul because here albeit in a measure veiled she doth many times reveal herself she revealeth herself in the eyes so manifestly that her present emotion may be recognized by who so closely looketh there wherefore since there are six emotions proper to the human soul whereof the philosopher makes mention in his rhetoric to wit grace jealousy pity envy love and shame by none of these may the soul be impassioned without the semblance thereof appearing at the window of the eyes, unless it be shut within by great exertion of power. Whence, ere now, certain have plucked out their eyes, lest their inward shame should outwardly appear. As Statius the poet tells us of the Theban Oedipus, when he says that, with external night, he solved his convicted shame. It is revealed in the mouth, like a color behind glass. And what is laughter, save a coruscation of the delight of the soul? 
that is to say, a light appearing outwardly according as it exists within. And therefore it is fitting that a man, in order to show his soul moderate in merriment, should laugh in moderation, with a dignified severity, and with slight movement of his features, so that the lady who is then revealed, as said above, may appear modest and not dissolute. Wherefore the book, of the four cardinal virtues, bids us to observe this. Let thy laughter be without cachination, that is to say, without clucking like a hen. Ah, wondrous laughter of my lady, whereof I speak, which is never perceived save by the eye. And I say that love conveys these things to her there as to their proper place. And here love may be considered in two ways. Firstly, the special love of the soul for these places, and secondly, the universal love which disposes things to love and to be loved, and which ordains the soul to adorn these parts. Then, when I say, they transcend our intellect, I plead my excuse for seeming to utter but little, when I dwell upon it, of so great excellence of beauty, and I affirm that I say so little of it for two reasons. The one is that the thing which appears in her aspect transcend our intellect, to wit the intellect of man, and I tell the manner of this transcending, which is after the fashion wherein the sun transcends feeble vision, not only that wherein he transcends the sound and strong. The other is that the said intellect may not fixedly gaze on it, because the mind becomes intoxicated there, so that straightway after gazing it goes astray in all its activities. Then, when I say, her beauty rains down flamelets of fire, I have recourse to treating of its effect, since it is impossible to treat completely of itself. Wherefore, you are to know that all those things that overcome our intellect, so that it cannot see what they are, are most suitably treated in their effects. Whence, treating thus of God, and of his sage young substances, and of first matter, we may have a certain knowledge. And therefore I say that, her beauty rains down flamelets of fire, to wit the ardor of love and of charity, and sold by a gentle spirit, that is to say, the ardor informed by a gentle spirit, to wit right appetite, by the which and from the which springs the beginning of good thoughts. And it not only makes this, but it unmakes and destroys its opposite, to wit, the innate vices which are chief foes to good thoughts. And here we are to know that there are certain of the vices in a man whereto he is naturally disposed, as, for instance, some men in virtue of a choleric complexion are disposed to anger, and such vices are inborn or co-natural. Others are vices of habit, for which not complexion but habit is to blame, for instance, intemperance, especially in wine. And these vices are to be escaped and overcome by good habit, whereby a man so becomes virtuous that his moderation needs no effort, as saith the philosopher in the second of the ethics. But there is this difference between co-natural passions and those of habit, that those of habit disappear entirely on the strength of good habit, because their source, to wit the bad habit, is destroyed by its opposite. But the co-natural ones, the source of which is in the nature of him who experiences the passion, though they may be much lightened by good habit, never entirely disappear, so far as their first movement is concerned, but do completely disappear so far as their enduring is concerned, because habit is not an equipoise to the nature wherein is their source. And therefore that man deserves more praise who, though of bad natural disposition, corrects and rules himself contrary to the impulse of his nature, than he who being good by natural disposition retains himself in good conduct, or recovers the way when he has lost it. Just as it is worthy of more praise to manage an intractable horse than another which is not vicious. I say, then, that these flamelets which rain from her beauty, as has been said, shatter the innate, that is, the co-natural vices, to give to understand that her beauty has power to make a new nature in those who gaze upon it, which is a miraculous thing. And this confirms what is said above in the next preceding chapter, when I say that she is the supporter of our faith. Finally, when I say, Whatsoever lady heareth her beauty, under color of an admonition I draw a conclusion as to the end whereto so great a beauty was made and I say that whatever lady hears her beauty blamed for defect, is to gaze upon this most perfect example, wherein it is to be understood, 
that this said example was made not only to improve the good, but also to make a good thing out of an evil one. And it adds, in fine, of her was he thinking who set the universe in motion, that is God, to give to understand that nature produced such an effect by divine determination. And thus ends all the second main section of this ode. Chapter 9 The arrangement of the present treatise requires, now that two parts of this ode have first been explained according to my intention, that we proceed to the third, wherein I intend to clear the ode of an accusation that might have told against her. It is this, that before I came to compose this ode, thinking that this lady had become somewhat stern and haughty towards me, I made a little ballad wherein I called this lady proud and pitiless, which appears contrary to what is said of her here above, and therefore I turned to the ode, and under color of teaching her how she must excuse herself I excuse her, and this is a figure, when inanimate things are addressed, which is called by the rhetoricians prosopopeia, and the poets very frequently employ it. Ode it seemeth that thy speech is counter, and the rest. Now the better to give the meaning of this to be understood, I must divide it into three sections, for in the first is set forth the thing which needs excusing, then the excuse is proceeded with when I say, Thou knowest that the heaven. Finally I address the ode as a person instructed as to what is to be done, when I say, Thus plead thy excuse, if thou have need. So I say first, Thou ode, who dost speak of this lady with so much praise, it seems that thou art contrary to a sister of thine. I say sister by similitude. For as a woman begotten by the same begetter is called sister, so may a man call a work that is done by the same doer a sister. For our doing is in a kind of way begetting. And I say why she seems counter to the other, saying, Thou makest her humble, and the other made her proud, that is to say, haughty and disdainful, which is the same thing. Having set forth this accusation, I go on to the excuse by means of an analogous instance, wherein sometimes the truth is at discord with the appearance, and, under sundry aspects, may be differently spoken of. I say, Thou knowest that the heaven is ever shining and clear. That is to say, it never loses its brightness. But for certain reasons it is sometimes permissible to speak of it as being darkened, where be it known that the proper objects of sight are color and light, as Aristotle has it in the second of the soul, and in the book of sense and its object. It is true that the other things are visible, but they are not the proper objects of sight, because some other sense perceives them, so that they cannot be called proper to sight, nor proper to touch. And such are shape, size, number, movement, rest, which we call sensibles, and which we perceive with more than one sense. But color and light are properly visible, because we apprehend them by sight alone, that is to say, with no other sense. These visible things, both proper and common, in so far as they are visible, pass into the eye. I do not mean the things themselves, but their forms, through the diaphanous medium, not in reality, but in intention, much as in transparent glass. And in the water which is in the pupil of the eye, this passage which the visible form makes through the medium is completed, because this water is bounded, something like a mirror, which is glass with lead behind it. So it cannot pass any further on, but is arrested there after the fashion of a smitten ball, so that the form, which does not appear nor shine in the transparent medium, is arrested, and this is why an image is seen on leaded glass, but not on other. From this pupil the visual spirit, which extends continuously from it to the front part of the brain, where the sensitive power exists, as in its fontal principle, instantaneously, without any interval of time, makes a representation of it. And thus we see, wherefore, in order that its vision may be true, that is to say, such as the visible thing is in itself, the medium through which the form comes to the eye must be colorless, and so must the water of the pupil be, Otherwise the visible form would be tainted with the color of the medium, and with that of the pupil. And therefore they who desire to give some particular color to the things in a mirror interpose of that color between the glass and the lead, so that the glass is embraced by it, 
It is true that Plato and other philosophers declared that our seeing was not due to the visible coming into our eye, but to the visual power going out to the visible. And this opinion is refuted as false by the philosopher in that of sense and its object. Now that we have thus explained the mode of vision, it is easy to perceive that although the star is always equally clear and shining and experiences no mutation, save that of local movement, as is proved in that of heaven and earth, there may be many causes why it seems not clear and not shining, since it may so appear because of the medium which is continually changing. This medium changes from abundance to paucity of light, as at the presence or absence of the sun, and in his presence the medium, which is diaphanous, is so full of light that it overcomes the star, and seems to be brighter than it is. This medium also changes from subtle to gross, and from dry to moist, by reason of the vapors of earth which are continually rising, which medium, by these changes, changes the image of the star which comes through it, its grossness affecting it in dimness, and its moisture or dryness affecting it in color. And it may also appear so by reason of the visual organ, that is to say the eye, which by reason of weakness, or exhaustion may acquire a certain color or a certain feebleness, as it often happens that the tunic of the pupil becoming violently bloodshot because of some disorder caused by illness, almost everything looks red, and therefore the star seems colored thereby. And when the sight is enfeebled, a certain dispersion of the spirit takes place in it, so that things no longer seem knit together but sprawling, much as letters of our writing do on damp paper. And this is why many, when they have a mind to read, remove the writing to a distance from their eyes that the image may enter the more lightly and subtly, and thereby the letter remains more distinct in their sight. And so the star, too, may seem blurred. And I experienced this in that same year wherein this ode was born. For greatly taxing my sight and eagerness of reading, I so weakened the visual spirits that all the stars appeared to me to be shadowed by a kind of halo, and by long repose in dark and cool places, and cooling the body of the eye in clear water. I knit together again the disintegrated power, so as to return to my former good condition of sight. And thus we see that there are many causes, for the reasons noted, why the star may appear other than it really is. End of section 10